Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed In The Game podcast, where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality. Every week, we aim to touch, move, and inspire you to new possibilities for your life. My name is Sarah Maxwell, and is it really time for me to now intro my own show? Heck no! Bring in the Aussie talent to get it done. With their groundbreaking first season as The Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. Today, we continue the conversation with the intrigue of the party. (laughs) Tina Spetak, that I can't pronounce, is that person that no one can stop talking about. She waltzed into my mother's group four years ago with her newborn baby in a pram, shared her birth story, full of juicy details about going into labor over the most scrumptious steak sandwich at a local place we both love. And I instantly knew I have to be friends with this woman. I've known her as Tina Ptak these past years and somehow she sends her bio to me as Teresa Joseph. Like, of course she has many names. She's seriously the international woman of mystery. Born in India, she quickly moved to Saudi Arabia, but when the Gulf War struck, they moved on to Dubai. At age 12, she returned to India by herself to attend boarding school at her uncle's newly developed school. She couldn't have known that three years later, her parents would return to India, bowing their heads, having been duped out of their fortune in Dubai. Tina's father, who she lovingly calls Appa, gathered up his wife and worked to the bone to recreate a life for his family in India once again. Studying engineering IT and later a philanthropy degree, Tina's life spent India and Ireland before she married her husband Samit in an arranged marriage. Like, that's a story, I promise, we are so getting to that. And now she has two kids under the age of five and she lives in Brisbane, Australia. On her wedding day, her father whispered in her ear, You are so beautiful and talented and creative. Make sure you do something. Don't stay at home. The greatness of her life, or sorry, the greatest sadness of her life was when her dad passed unexpectedly a year after uttering those words. She has been fulfilling on his prophetic words ever since. This woman is an enigmatic presence in our community, and I can't wait to share her with you all. We can all grow from someone with her life experiences. So, Tina, thank you for being on In The Game podcast. It's been so long since we wanted to do this. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's, it is an honor to be here. And I can't wait to get started talking to you. Me too, because we, we get to have these moments. But I always think to myself, who else needs to hear what you're sharing? So as you sit there and you like you hear about all this travel and you hear like these this is your life and all that's happened so far what would you say you're most proud of up to now I think I'm most proud of being able to find myself and reinvent myself wherever I went like I've lived in so many different places from a young age and having 
like literally moved from one place to another and lived there you have to find your place and find who you are because otherwise it can be very confusing and i think i'm really proud of the fact that wherever i went i was able to like make my community and find my place and in maybe a play a small part in that community as well so um i think that's what i'm most proud of yeah i love that well said and so if you think about um growing up in india and then saudi arabia and dubai what were the dreams that you had for your life? You know, let's say before you went to school, what were the dreams that you had for your life that you can remember? I think, um, I think it was very similar to what our four-year-olds have now, like, you know, growing up, it changed time to time. It was, you know, being a, um, maybe a doctor one day or an air hostess or, you know, it was what we did then that, you um, molded what we wanted to be later i think yeah. uh, but to be completely honest coming from an indian family there's like a few things that are um like the few there are few options that come with it so most uh, stereotypically <laughs> you're either a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer um that those are the preferred professions so uh, i have to say uh, 85 percent of my cousins are engineers, um, 10% are doctors, and maybe the other 5% are others, you know? <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I was, that's what I was curious about. Does, do our dreams shift cross-culturally? And because you lived in different countries, hmm. did you shift your dream according to, like, was Dubai different than, say, Saudi? Um, it was, but I, I was in Saudi Arabia like when I was really young. Um, so I don't think I was in that, you know, frame of mind. I was just another uh, kid who wanted to do live and love life, you know, at mm -hmm. that time. But I think um, as I looked up to people around me, like we lived, even when we were living in Saudi Arabia, we lived in a, in a compound that was my uh, dad's factory compound and like everyone around there was working in the factory they were engineers or they were you know people in those professions and most almost everyone in my family came from such a background so I think the, the fact that I was going to be an engineer was there in the back of my head like okay you're going to grow up and be an engineer um because we come from an engineering family, you know. I almost said factory there, but... Yeah. And it could be the fact, yeah, an engineering factory. Well, your life, you're going to be really interesting because you just said that beautifully about when you come from an Indian family, there's sort of like these options that you've got. And in the end, you're not an engineer today. So what life circumstances drove you to clarify your mission in life? Um, well, it's actually very interesting. We, I, I actually did become an engineer, as you mentioned. Yeah. I went through the whole thing and became a software engineer, worked in that profession for a while. But I think uh, if you rewind back a bit, when my family moved from uh, Dubai back to India, um, I was... I went to a, uh, a boarding school and then I went to another school for my high school where we were going through this really tough financial time and I constantly kept complaining to myself uh, about, you know, why is this happening in life? You know, we were so happy and everything was so great. And, you know, I felt, I felt like I had nothing. And it was, it was very hard as a, you know, a 
new teenager uh, feeling that way. And I, uh, we went to this um, event that we organized, which was a, f a street play, but it was on stage for about street children and child labor. And one of the priests who helped us organize it said, um, you know what, at the end of it, I'll bring some st real street children to the function. So um, what happened was at the end of it, we played some music and some real street children walked across the stage with some, you know, placards saying stop child labor and mm -hmm. all that. And I was in charge of the music and I was wearing one of my one of my most beautiful outfits. It was made from one of my mom's most beautiful saris. Um, and this kid went on stage, he danced, and then he came back to me. And he was wearing torn shorts, a torn, really dirty singlet, which was probably white, you know, sometime in the last couple of years, but it was like dirty and brown. And he had this biggest smile and he, as he hugged me and he said, can you play that music again? Because I want to dance more. Mm -hmm. And I think at that moment, time kind of stood still for me. Um, and I still remember that moment, like clear, crystal clear. And I think it gave me clarity about, you know, what we see as not having anything and the level of poverty and the in indifference. And I think even though I had set my mind that I was going to be an engineer, in the back of my mind, I had this idea that somewhere in the future, I want to do something for children like him. Like, you know, they, they have nothing, but they want so little. Um, and they're happy, like they're smiling and content with what they have, even though it's so little. So I think that is the moment that really defined me. So even while I was working as a, as a software engineer in India and in Ireland, in the back of my head, I was like, this is not where I'm meant to be. I'm uh, meant to be doing something for children like him. So in hearing that, thank you for sharing that story, because I think we have these moments in our life that are so poignant. You said you can, it's so crystal clear for you even today. How come, what do you think led you to continue on the engineering path, which was very much like, this is what Indian kids do versus this calling, like something was calling you to more. Why yeah. do you think you kept going on the other track for so long? I think we all tend to live life in a certain way like we have to tick these boxes mm -hmm. so we have to tick the box of having an education tick the box of having a successful career tick the box of you know making our parents happy and proud of us and things like that so in my head i was like ticking all these boxes as well i was like if i become an engineer and i have a good job and i earn good money and everything i will be happy my parents will be happy and that's it that's where i thought it was all at, you know. So I think I was ticking those boxes and going through life like, yeah, this is just another life. Just let's go through it and tick all those boxes. Got it. Thank you for, yeah. And I asked that because I feel that a lot of people could relate to that. You mean, yeah. you know, maybe we wish we had made a big, bold move in that moment. Yeah. But ultimately, they move forward. We move forward ticking boxes. I think I did that with doing science at uni. And, you know, I remember it sounded really good. And then I'm in my courses in that first year and I'm thinking, this is not at all what interests me, but I kept going to take that box. 
But um, I have to say, I did love science. Like I did love doing engineering and I love computers and things like that. But I think, yeah, there's, there's purpose and there's an education. So I think education and doing what you, I mean, learning about something is great, but it may need not be what your purpose is. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good distinction. And I don't know if this is a box tick. I don't think it is, but we have to talk about an arranged marriage because I'm so freaking fascinated <laughs> in our day and age living next door to me in Brisbane, um, that you and Samit have an arranged marriage and it's a very successful marriage. So I'm really curious about it. So how the heck did that happen? It's been 10 years, so <laughs> we must be doing something right. <laughs> um, how did that happen? Well, my dad has been, had been trying to get me married from when I was, I think, 19 or 20. Uh, he would send me these profiles. So we have matrimonial websites in India that is like Tinder, but we just thought about it a long time ago. <laughs> but it's the parents who put up your profile as well. <laughs> so it's like Tinder for kids, but managed by parents. If that makes Ooh. sense. <laughs> so my oh, dad. You want to hear this? <laughs> my dad used to send me profiles almost every day. Like he'd be like, "What about this guy? And what about that guy? And like, uh, okay, I wait, sorry, <laughs> interruption. Did you think you would get married in that way? Okay, now we know what happened. But before growing up, did you think, okay, dad's gonna set it up? That's just how it is. Well, it was definitely an option. My brother got married that way as well. Okay. But like my parents were quite liberal. They weren't like, you have to marry who we tell you to marry. Like I've, I did date a few guys, some good, some not that great. <laughs> not as good as Sumit, I'm sure. Not as good as Sumit, no, nowhere near. Um, and then like, I and my dad was okay with all of that. And then like, He's, he kept sending me profiles and said, you know, have a look at this guy and have a look at that guy. And I kept turning it down. And then when I turned 25, he kind of gave up on me because that's like the prime age to get married. Like if you're 25, you're off the shelf. That's it. <laughs> so my dad gave up on me and he said, now you're 25. I'm not going to do this anymore. And I think, I think my family, some, some of the people in my family even thought, started thinking like maybe she thinks she, you know, she's too good for this. So, you know, you know, and all that. So they kind of gave up on me and I, uh, I had to take over the whole profile. And I, so I made a few changes and I made sure that it reflected me a little more and things like that. And, uh, yeah. So one fine day, Sumit's dad rang me and said, Hey, do you want to talk to my son? And I was out at a friend's house having a party and I was like, yeah, sure. Talk to my dad. And I just gave him my dad's number. So and dad calls you. That is so interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have to be a premium member for your dad, his dad to get the number. <laughs> Go, keep going, Tina. Yeah. <laughs> so his dad rang my dad and my dad was like over the moon. He's like, sure. Yes, go for it. Like, give her the number. Let them talk and things like that. So we, um, Sumit's mom and dad, flew to Rockhampton where he was living, and uh, sat him down and told him that you know there's this girl and we want you to talk to him. And then he just dialed the number and gave him the phone. <laughs> and yeah, so we spoke to each other for the first time in in April, yeah. and uh, we met each other for the first time in August. Whoa. 
uh, and we got married in November in India. And when you meet for the first time, are you like looking at each other? Are you kind okay, okay. So are you thinking, I hope he's cute. Like, I hope I lo like, what's the thought pattern when you're moving through this kind of process of being set up? Well, I, uh, I got to see a few of his pictures with the profile and all that when I first saw it. Uh, and, and to be completely honest, I don't know who did his profile, but the picture was horrendous. Like I was having this conversation with my housemates where I'm like, he's great. Like his profile looks great, but he looks terrible. <laughs> and you know, Sumit, he's like really good. Yeah, he's really cute. So, so he had bad photos up and he had, he had one picture and it was of him in some shades looking you know like somewhere into the future <laughs> it looked really weird and so but then he sent me other pictures and all that and the first time I met him in real was even more I'd, I'd probably say unique <laughs> or strange <laughs> because the first time I met him the entire family was there we were at a big dining table um, at the Raffles Hotel in Singapore and he was seated right next to me. So I couldn't even like literally look at him straight. Like I had to sneak. Did he have his fro hair then? His big hair? No, no. <laughs> I'm sure his mom made him shave it off before he came okay. to Sorry, me. I just had to know. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was quite interesting. He, um, it's, I think the advantage of the process is that you you don't have the stress of, you know, dressing up or, you know, you know, just um, being there the whole time, every day to talk to a person. I think we get to know each other more when you just talk to them and there isn't the whole stress of being physically, um, you know, uh, like presentable the Got whole it. time. You're not all about, I hope he likes the way I look. It, yeah, it is not a pressure about your look and yeah. that he's attracted to you. Okay, yeah. okay, good. Okay, <laughs> I've never asked you this before. But okay. now it's brewing. Okay. So tell me what you believe about attraction and love and marriage. How do all those three things go together for you? Well, I think attraction is probably important. Um, love grows. I think because I know that I was attracted to Sumit and I liked him as a person when we got married, but I don't know if it was love. Oh. I think I drew in love with him even more after we got married because all I knew about him was, you know, from the conversations we had and things like that. But actually living with a person for a couple of years gives you a better idea of the person. And I think love grows that way. Um, does it grow deliberately or does it grow like because you actually set forth that this be the plan do you grow to like want to love him or you just like knowing him you think he's more interesting like give me more on this oh okay can you want to love someone and still be happy in 10 years i don't think so meaning I think wanting it and not actually yeah I don't know. I guess it's just like, I guess what we're doing right now is finding out your definition of love. And yeah. I'm very curious about it. I think, uh, I think I grew in love with him after we got married. I definitely, definitely really, really, really liked him when we got married. But 
I don't think I had actually spent enough time with him. I met him once before we got married. We went on one date <laughs> before we got married. So, you know, I don't think. So what are your beliefs about commitment then and forever? Like, how does that work inside of this? Because people hearing this are going to be like, whoa, she only knew she liked him when she got married. And yet you're doing better than a lot of people that are very in love and attracted on day, you know, on their marriage. So I think, um, I think the arranged marriage structure helps in it a bit as well, because um, the, the, the whole setup is, you know, done by the parents. So there are a few things that they check off before they let you communicate, which I don't think went through in my dad's case because he was just too excited for... <laughs> he, he had no more list. Yeah, he was just like, if she says yes, that's great. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, they look at basic things like, are they from a similar kind of family? Um, uh, is my daughter going to be happy in that family? Will they look after her? Uh, you know, things like that. Like, I know it is very, you know, practical stuff, but they look at how how financially fit is the other family? How well educated is the other, you know, is the boy or the man? <laughs> and how, um, what kind of job does he have? Um, is, you know, like, it's like a police check. But... <laughs> yeah, but you you shared something. Do you, I never understood this. Share a little bit about how the family is involved in your relationship on a daily basis, because that's something I just thought it was the parents arranged it. But now yeah. I understand a bit more of the setup. So yeah. how is it inside of your relationship? And the parents are really involved still. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's a very close family. And um, I think like, I have to, I have to share this. Like, I think our families get to, it's a marriage between two families, basically. Mm. I think when my dad passed away, my father-in-law cried more than my mom. Mm. So, you know, that's how close they got to be as well. So I think like Sumit's parents look after me uh, because that is a responsibility they've taken over as well, uh, which my dad made very clear to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and um, like if I have a complaint with Sumit uh, and like in the initial years I could always go up to his mom and say he did this <laughs> talk to him okay like, this is know, hilarious I is everyone catching this so if you have a fight with your mate you don't go to your mate you tell his mom first that is gold <laughs> well, I talk to him. Him. sorry and then the mom talks to him yeah, yeah. He like if it's something that we can't resolve, like I can tell her and she can talk to him. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah. And have <laughs> you have you ever had it be any other way? Is this all? Clearly, you've not been married before, but in other relationships, did you know that it was not always like that? Um. So I think the other relationships I've had are very different. Like it's, um, they. I I don't even think I've known any of the families to be honest I it was just like a one-on-one -on -one relationship so yeah it is very different <laughs> from that yeah thank you for it because I've, I've been fascinated I personally also believe there's a lot of benefits yeah and because it's foreign and different for let's say maybe someone living in Australia or mm -hmm. even as a Canadian we don't listen for these benefits because we just don't know about it so I love what you sh now you all get why she's the intrigue of the party. Okay. <laughs> now talk to me about kids. Okay. So 
You're a very brave and accomplished woman, yet I know parenting has kind of brought you to your knees, literally at times. So what happened for you? And, and like, what have you learned about yourself being a parent? Yeah. Okay. Before I get to that question, oh, yeah. can I share that not all arranged marriages are like this. There are arranged marriages that don't do well at all. So don't listen to me and say, okay, I'm just going to go get an arranged marriage. It doesn't, like, it's not a hundred percent fail proof. That's right. Well, you're a possibility only. I'm not a possibility. Very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So coming to your question. Uh, yeah. Parenting has been interesting to say the least. Um, I think like I was um, very prepared to be a parent like I was like okay we've been married five years I know this guy I love this guy um, I'm prepared to have a child with this guy and I read every book and you know I was like yep I know if this happens this is what I'm going to do and everything um, and then I had my child <laughs> and it was as you know it was a very traumatic birth she was four and a half kilos, which was, and I delivered her naturally, um, which came with its own challenges. And um, I think a part of that was also the, um, uh, the postnatal depression that came with it. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, it didn't just happen overnight. I think it was building up in the background and I just didn't realize it. Like when my dad passed away, I didn't really grieve about it. So that was there in the back of my head. And then I lost a friend who, because she got divorced and, you know, went away. And I lost, um, you know, our puppy who was like my child. And I had a miscarriage uh, before I had Zara. So there was a lot of grief building up and I never addressed it. I just moved on with life, you know, just went on ticking those boxes. Um, and then... I I think after Zara turned around one, I was like, this is not right. Like, this is not normal. This is not me. Um, because anyone who knows me now would, if they saw me then, would have said, what's wrong with her? And that's literally what happened. Like, I had family say to me, what's wrong with you? Like, what's going on? This is not you. And um, And I think that kind of woke me up. Because I was like, I have to make a, I have to change this because I'm just unhappy the entire time. And that is not going to help me or my family or my child. So, yeah, it literally did bring me to my knees. And I think I, I had to address it and uh, move on from there. When you realized that it wasn't you and something bigger was going on, what did you start to do to help yourself? I think I had to like stop, like prioritize things. So I had to stop trying to tick boxes. So I had, I was trying to be this, this perfect wife, this perfect mom, this perfect, you know, sister and everything and not always succeeding. And I was surrounding myself with the wrong people. I was, um, not saying yes to opportunities. I was constantly being negative and, and that is not me at all. So I just had to kind of uh, like remember who I was and also change the setting that I was in. So I think I had to hit the pause button on everything else and say, no, let's start fresh. Let's see 
what needs to be taken out and what needs to come in. And I think one of the most important parts of that was focusing on myself and healing both physically and mentally. Mm. So I had to take steps to do that. And I think I gave myself a year to do that. And at the end of the year, I went on this fabulous trip um, to tick all these other boxes, which, you know, weren't necessarily the, the traditional boxes to tick. I went on a trip without my two-year-old child and went and saw all these places that I wanted to see forever, which I wouldn't have traveled alone and seen, you know, if it was me earlier. So I think I started making a new list of things to tick off than follow the traditional, um, I think, not traditional, I think the the list that was stuck in my head. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Who knew that this conversation was going to be about box ticking? (laughs) But I I actually think it is a theme of, of this whole thing that when life occurs like boxes to tick, sometimes life events come to really almost wipe it clean and Mm. show us that there's so much more. So I really appreciate the journey that you're sharing. I think we can all learn from it. Yeah. And I mean, as a global citizen living in Australia, and now you are an Aussie, and I I really admired when you became an Australian, it was really impactful for me to, to own it and actually be proud and actually go for my own citizenship. So thank you for that. Um, but what is it like to be here in Australia and to parent these two children in a, I don't know, you're sort of like this global citizen growing up here. So how do you parent them in a way that honors your culture and in a way that honors where they are now? I think one of the biggest gifts I had growing up was the ability to travel the ability to live in all these different places and meet all these different people. And I think in a way, like I won't say I don't see color because that is just stupid. <laughs> I, I think I just, when I meet another person, I just think of them as another person. Like mm-hmm. I've, because I've grown up meeting people from everywhere. I, mm-hmm. I don't mentally make that, dis, you know, distinguish between or oh, this person's, different from me like they could be culturally different from me but on a basic human level they're another person like me you know with the same types of dreams and aspirations and things like that and I think that is one of the biggest gifts I got growing up like being able to travel and reinvent myself every time so I and then that's what I've been trying to do with my kids as well like as you know Zara has been like halfway around the world to so many countries and you know she had the ability from a young age to uh, live with people from different countries and who speak different languages and sing in different languages and yeah and that's just and that's I think the basis basis of my parenting like I want to give that to my children. I want them to see the world as their home and, you know, be, be a global citizen and not let these borders and imaginary walls divide them, you know? So, you know, um, I was interviewing someone, an American, and that only 15% of Americans have passports. Yeah. And he said something, um, we were doing, he's traveled a lot and he said, and as a black man, he said, and how many of those do you think are black? And I thought, whoa, like, I don't know the stats on that, but I know it would be a lot less than 15%. And so just thinking about what you're doing with Zara 
and what you're doing with the kids in general, like exposing them to all these different cultures. Has Zara ever said anything unique and funny about her exposure to multiple cultures? Well, she, uh, she keeps, she keeps um, thinking that she's from that place. So <laughs> Uh, like if we go to a place and come back, she's, she thinks she is from there. Like she thinks she's from Singapore sometimes. And she thinks she is from India and she's, which she is originally. Uh, but she keeps telling, saying, I'm not Australian, I'm Indian. You know, she used to say that for a whole, uh, a whole time. And then she, when we went to Singapore, she was like, oh, I love Singapore. I'm from here now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so yeah, she... She wants to belong wherever she goes. She wants to, you know, live there and uh, eat the food and be a part of that culture. And I think that is amazing for a four-year-old to be able to experience that and to be open to that. Like, you know, that's a whole different thing. Like, you can travel, see a place, enjoy it and come back. But to be open to being there is completely different. That's, I wonder if you were like that as a kid, if I think about it. I would like to think I was. Yeah, I think that's actually really interesting what you're bringing up there because we had some interesting experiences with Jordan as well. And I'm not sure that she totally would say that she's from one place as well. So, cause it's, it's actually this really amazing thing to go move around. And then you, you start to notice that these words like home. Yeah. Oh, because other kids, it's so easy. It's just the same home. You actually don't even define it because you don't need to. Um, whereas with Jordan, I noticed that there's there's sort of like, an, I don't know. I don't have the answer. It's like, I think we're both in it. We're both living it at the moment. But these kids are global citizens too already. And for me, it's very important for my children to go back to India because that's where a majority of my family live. And I have a massive family that lives all around the world. Uh, in 1990, at my cousin's wedding, there were around 80 people in my immediate family, uh, just on my mom's side. Like that's, you know, so many years ago. And so I have a massive family and Zara is already like an aunt to a kid who's older than her. Uh, so it's, um, I want her to know that and I want her to have that, you know, sense of belonging because I think family gives you that and that extended family I, I find great pride in saying that I'm a part of this family or I come from, this is who I come from, you know? Um, so I, I want her to have that as well, which I think these days we live in like nuclear families and we don't really have those ties. And yeah, I want her to be proud of her heritage and I want her to be proud of who she is. So yeah, it's very important to me. Well, I was going to ask you uh, questions around um, who you are that's more than a mom because you're really diving into this next area of like what your purpose is in life. But what I'm realizing is we've covered so many good things already that I'd love you to come back and we'll do like a little special on moms with purpose. If okay. you're up for that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was like realizing there's just, as I said, there's so much to you. I appreciate almost like this little insight into different possibilities and ways of finding happiness yeah. in our lives. And even that ticking the boxes 
that there's so much more to it. And I think that that will get even deeper into that next time. But thank you, Tina, so much for opening your life. You're so honest, you're so open, and you just share it so naturally. So thank you. Thank you for having me. We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.